Uh, now then, this week on the show, we've been uh, we've been discussing the State of the Union rather a lot, the United Kingdom. On uh, Monday, we had uh, a panel discussing Scottish independence, so John Curtis talking to us about the rise in support for Scottish independence in the wake of uh, COVID-19. And just yesterday, we discussed Welsh independence, including with Pied Cymru leader Adam Price, as his party led a debate on Welsh independence in the, in the Welsh Parliament for the first time. So, in keeping with our commitment to covering all four corners of the nation, uh, we felt that like we should uh, now cover Northern Ireland, where, of course, uh, devolution matters a whole different board game, and Stormont's only been back up and running for a few months and plunged straight into the coronavirus crisis. Uh, so, to talk us through the situation there and the debate about Irish reunification and the State of the Union, I'm delighted to be joined by uh, Dr Katie Haywood, Senior Fellow in the UK in a Changing Europe, based at Queen's University, Belfast. Good morning, Katie. Morning, Matt. Uh, Brendan Hughes from the Irish News, also in Belfast. Good morning. Good morning, Matt. And uh, Finn McRedmond, a columnist for the Irish Times. Although it doesn't say on here where you're... Where, where are you in the world, Finn? Uh, I'm in London. Ah, oh, very good. That's why they've tried to do it. <laughs> um, so um, uh, let's start with you, Katie. Talk us through the sort of the state of public opinion uh, in Northern Ireland right now and the uh, the uh, perception of how the the uh, government in Northern Ireland instalment has, has handled the, the pandemic. Yes, so there are two different things there. In relation to the pandemic, um, we got off to a bit of a rocky start um, and uh, quite unsurprisingly, we had differences within the executive about whether we should be following the Irish government into lockdown, which was which was happening pretty fast in early early March, or whether um, we should be a bit slower as per the, as per London. Um, as the UK government and the Irish government began to liaise a bit uh, more closely together and became a bit more aligned, then it was easier for the Northern Ireland executive. And overall, notwithstanding one or two bumps, I think the general impression is that the devolved government has handled it pretty well um, and sort of taking a bit of a mix of both British and Irish influences when it comes to handling lockdown in terms of advice and guidance. Um, we don't know too much yet about public opinion um, regarding um, the specific long-term impacts of, of COVID-19, um, but of course, public opinion in Northern Ireland is always um, very much pivoted on the question of devolution and its effectiveness, and most particularly thinking about the long-term future of Northern Ireland, i.e. whether there should be United Ireland or not. And um, it depends on what polls you're looking at, unsurprisingly. Um, but uh, across, across different types of polls and surveys, we see around um, 47 to 52% of people saying that they want Northern Ireland to remain in the United Kingdom. And then, then it does depend on the different surveys or polls. Um, um, it does sort of depend, it's setting around a quarter to um, almost up to 50% of people saying they want United Ireland. Um, and I can talk you through the details of that if you like. Well, let me just bring uh, uh, Brendan in there. I mean, in, in all the conversations we've been having over the last uh, few days about this, the the, the coronavirus pandemic, and because it's a it was, it's a health crisis, and so it's very much devolved. Uh, it's really thrown into spotlight uh, devolution and the 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 powers and the limits of those powers that, that devolved uh, governments have. Are people in Northern Ireland thinking about this more? Uh, and uh, and of course the the question of you know you're part of the UK so following the the lead of Westminster but actually on a physical island a, a united island approach to a health crisis might make more sense on a health perspective have people been having those conversations Brendan 
Oh, definitely. I think I think that um, the coronavirus crisis has possibly pushed the constitutional question down the road and um, considerably as we deal with the immediate health emergency. But um, what keeps coming back into the discussion and the debate about how we are dealing with the pandemic is, I suppose, whose approach um, we should be following and whether just based on the us being a physical island, whether we should be dealing with this as a um, um, across the, the Stormont government and the, the government in Dublin, whether there should be more cooperation um, to ensure that, um, for example, um, there's been a discussion recently around whether um, there should be a, quor- a compulsory quarantining of um, passengers coming from um, high-risk countries into the island of Ireland. So therefore, not necessarily that um, passengers only coming through um, Dublin airport should be forced to quarantine, but that also the same passengers, if they were to arrive in the airports in, in Belfast and in and around Belfast, whether they should also be forced to quarantine and whether that should be done on an all-island basis to ensure that um, people coming into Northern Ireland are not able to just simply hop across the border and therefore potentially spread the virus to the south and vice versa. Um, I suppose it's worth remembering that the coronavirus pandemic and the uh, first came to to Northern Ireland and to the island of Ireland because of of someone who was travelling from Italy and came in through Dublin airport and then travelled on the train, the Enterprise train from Dublin up to um, Northern Ireland. So that's how the, the coronavirus originally came into the island. And so therefore, um, front and centre of the discussions has really been, you know, should we be tackling this on an all-island basis? Yeah, absolutely. And Finn McWegman, columnist for the Irish Times, into all of this we have to lob the word Brexit, don't we? That's looming at the end of mm-hmm. uh, this year. And the question of how Northern Ireland has been uh, treated in the, the deal that Boris Johnson got and uh, the long-term impact on that, again, in the debate about whether or not Northern Ireland would be better uh, aligned more with Ireland than the rest of the UK? Yeah, I think when we're looking at the broader lo- like and long-term sentiments on nationalism versus what we've seen with coronavirus and before then with Brexit is that the kind of practical arguments for uh, a united Ireland or practical arguments for a what's known as a shared island are kind of ta- overtaking what previously was the preserve of an emotive response to history. So we're seeing a kind of more moderate arguments for a shared island um, that's rooted in economic logic, that's rooted in uh, what you were all saying about um, it makes sense uh, from a public health perspective probably to treat the island as a whole rather than as two separate countries. So that is kind of really the way that the contours of the debate around unionism versus nationalism are shaping up. We're we're losing... In a, in a broad sense, especially in the Republic, losing the kind of Sinn Féin being the sole face of a nationalist or a Republican cause and seeing people like Leo Varadkar a few years before, Andy Kenny and Michal Martin as well now, um, really bringing into the public domain the, the, que- the questions of what a shared island might mean or what it might look like. And I, and I suppose that's the you know sort of side what I was driving at that, that, that a, somebody uh, an innocent bystander or someone landed from Mars and looked at the situation uh, on the island of Ireland might think well what, you know why are you all together I mean you're right it's, it's history that's the, the, why there's the separation rather than sort of practical uh, concerns and that once you get into border checks or Brexit or, or, or health checks for for coronavirus the 
there's a the practicalities maybe override the the long-standing politics. Um, Katie uh, Hayward again, just in terms of the the polling. Um, there's not. There's, it always strikes me there's never a huge amount of polling that comes out of Northern Ireland in the way that we sometimes we're swimming in it in uh, the rest of um, the UK. Why is that? And and does that make it harder to sort of get a sense of what's going on? Uh, yes, I mean that's really because I mean Northern Ireland's only like three percent of the population of the UK, and uh, oftentimes when people are getting the money to do these big surveys, um, Northern Ireland is, is stretched too far. So we don't have loads of survey data that includes the whole of the UK. Um, we we do have some interesting data. So the Northern Ireland Life and Time Survey is the most academically rigorous um, survey that's face-to-face interviews. And we did, um, in our most recent survey, we did ask people questions about what would make a difference if they were voting in a border poll um, with regards to their views on Irish unity and what might make them more likely to vote for it. And interestingly enough, um, uh, if there was a strong Southern Irish economy that Northern Ireland would be joining, that would be the biggest incentive towards it. And the biggest reason for, um, or biggest, most off-putting factor, I guess, would be keeping the NHS. The NHS is a big um, source of um, pride, if you like, uh, uh, amongst people from all different backgrounds in Northern Ireland. Uh, but overall, we saw that really it's very clear there's a big difference between Catholic and Protestant respondents as to Catholics much more um, open to saying that they would be persuaded by certain factors, including Scottish independence, um, and Protestant respondents um, saying that really not very much at all would persuade them um, of uh, the benefits, if you like, of Irish unity, including um, rejoining the European Union. And Brendan, the, the relationship between Arlene Foster and Michelle O'Neill has been uh, the, two, the first mission obviously been in the spotlight a lot during uh, coronavirus. Has the way that they've worked together uh, seemingly pretty well helped sort of shift or dial down uh, sort of political difference in in Northern Ireland? Uh, Well, I think that um, it has changed over the course of the pandemic. We saw initially that there was um, a lot of disagreement between the two main parties um, over how to deal with the how to deal with the pandemic, how to whether they should be um, you know going into lockdown quicker, like um, was happening in the Republic, or whether they should be following more of what London was doing. They seemed to come to a compromise. They had a, a five-stage plan which they which they put out, but it was really very open-ended because there were no dates as to when sort of things would be. Um, eased in terms of the lockdown and so things have been done on an, on an ad hoc basis on looking at what's going on in London and what's what's going on in Dublin. We had um, a couple of, um, or last month or anyway, we had um, the interesting sight of seeing um, the, the two leaders, um, Michelle Neal and Arlene Foster, um, giving joint interviews with um, the with the uh, TV cameras and um, which showed a united front and I think people really appreciated that. But what we have seen in recent weeks has been um, a return to um, the divisions of the that we previously had, and this has really been caused by um, Sinn Féin, a very prominent member of Sinn Féin, Bobby Story, um, a prominent Republican. Um, his funeral was held uh, not last week, but the week before, I believe. And um, unfortunately, during that uh, funeral, we saw lots of people coming out onto the streets of West Belfast. And um, Sinn Féin, who had been involved in organising that funeral, had been accused of breaching um, the coronavirus restrictions, which they had played a part in putting in place in the first place. 
And so now we are seeing that um, there's been a lot of criticism from the other parties in the executive, including the DUP, over um, what has happened in this and the, and the, the accusing Sinn Féin of double standards. And now we have a situation where both Arlene Foster and Michelle O'Neill, who previously would have stood on a joint platform giving daily um, coronavirus press conferences to the media, uh, explaining to people jointly what they would be doing to um, try and um, ease the lockdown and ensure that the, um, there wasn't a, an uptick in, in cases. Now we have a situation where they won't appear um, in public together. And today we have the Taoiseach in the South, Michal Martin, the newly um, appointed Taoiseach in the South, Michal Martin, who is coming up to Stormont to um, meet the parties. And if this hadn't happened about the Bobby Story funeral, we would have, we, we, we would have government here, um, Michelle and Larry Foster together. But what we're likely to see is that both of them will meet Michal Martin separately because of these differences that are persisting. Oh, that's really interesting. Time. I mean, we've definitely seen that in uh, in England, Scotland, and Wales. I think as the pandemic has progressed, politics has uh, crept back into it. Um, just finally, I'll probably ask you all all this because I asked the same question when we discussed Scotland and Wales this week. Is there a situation you can see, and I don't know if it's in five years or maybe ten years, is is Northern Ireland still part of the union, or do we see a, a reunified Ireland? Let's start with you, uh, Finn McWedman. Well, I think the thing to, that's important to consider is that um, a lot of the kind of moderate calls uh, for uh, or the moderate discussion about nationalism and reunification, um, they're not they're not talking about necessarily just tacking on the six counties in Northern Ireland onto the existing 26 counties of the Republic. The, the, the way forward seems to be one that's considering kind of like a, fe a federal option. And that's kind of laid out in the coalition government's uh, plan for a shared island, which is about, which is emphasising a kind of long-term consensus-driven approach um, about, about how they reach a kind of reconciliation of history and how they understand what a shared island, not necessarily a united island, might look like, how they, um, you know, uh, sp speak to each other about infrastructure, how they deal with public health things, how they talk about the border. Um, but it's not, it's not, it's unlikely possibly that it's just going to be reunification 100% six six northern counties back into the republic that's not the way that the government at the moment is approaching the question it's consensus driven um, and it's about dialogue between unionists and nationalists how you view it katie oh yes absolutely and um, as a social scientist I'd, I'd look at the data and um Unsurprisingly, perhaps we see different um, perspectives from Catholics and Protestants with regards to that question about whether United Ireland is is likely. And uh, most particularly in response to Brexit, we see Catholic respondents saying that they um, are much more expectant of United Ireland and much more in favour of it. And Protestants respondents tending to say maybe they are slightly thinking it's more likely, but um, that it hasn't changed, the Brexit hasn't changed their views at all as to whether United Ireland is a good thing or not. And just finally, Brendan Hughes, what's your what's your crystal ball telling you? <laughs> uh, well, I don't. I think it's uh, easy to say, and I, I would agree with this that I don't see a United Ireland happening in the short term. I think this is more of for nationalists. I suppose it's more of a long term project and needs a lot more work. Um, Brexit, I really, I think, has made people sort of reassess and temper their um, their discussions around around. 
this because what we what many people saw here in Northern Ireland, which is an area which uh, voted in majority to remain as part of the European Union, they have looked at, I suppose, the three years since that referendum at what they would see as the chaos that was going on in in um, Westminster over um, how they tried to try to eventually Brexit and how that um, affected things here in Northern Ireland. And so uh, what we have seen here is, for example, from the SDLP leader, which is the, um, I suppose, the moderate nationalist um, party SDLP in Northern Ireland, um, he repurposed the words of um, Donald Tusk whenever um, Donald Tusk said there is a special place in hell for someone who um, (laughs) thought of Brexit without a plan. And he has repurposed that and said um, there's a special place in hell for someone who um, calls for a border proposal without a plan. So we see from for we see from nationalists now are saying that if we are to have a, a poll, a border poll, as it's called, on whether we um, have a unified Ireland, then we need to have a proper plan in place which shows what exactly that will look like. And unionists need to be engaged in that conversation. And I think that's where it's going to go forward from here. Well, it's fascinating stuff. That's Brendan Hughes there from the Irish News uh, in Belfast. We also spoke to Dr Katie Hayward uh, from the UK and a Changing Europe based at Queen's University Belfast and Finn McRedmond, a columnist from the Irish Times, speaking to us here on Times Radio.